Lord, test the mind and searches the heart to give according to all in their ways, according to the fruit of their doings. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The third rail of politics. The third rail. That's an idiom that you may be familiar with. It refers to the actual third rail in an electrical train system. And if you touch it, what happens? You die. And so in politics, as in any institutional life, and also institutional religious life, you might hear people refer to an issue as a third rail issue. Bring it up, and that's the end of you. Ending corn subsidies in Iowa, particularly around the primaries, third rail issue. Raising the Social Security retirement age, third rail issue. Privatizing Social Security, also third rail. And topics like those exist in every institution, especially in religious ones. Now, I currently work, as you all know, at an Episcopal prep school in a very red state. And there are a myriad of third rail issues that I have learned to be very careful with. Dare, dare I say it, I think I've become adept. I've become very good at doing the dance. I'll raise the issues, but rather than walking up to the third rail and touching it, I'll just, you know, point to it <laughs> and sort of, you know, like hover around it, but never really touch the rail. At the school, I work with Mother Bear. That's really her name, Mother Bear. And we often refer to this as topics, these topics as things you say on your last day at Cassidy. <laughs> Now, the sermon this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. I gather that it sounds familiar to you. It has the shape of a very famous sermon, his Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5. And on a surface reading, you might say to yourself, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I got that. I, I kind of know that, that teaching. There are four Gospels, and as you know, it's the same story four different versions of it, sort of told from a slightly different emphasis in each, but essentially, it's the same story. And so this is the same sermon, but maybe just remembered a little bit differently. But maybe not. In Matthew, Jesus is preaching on a hill, it's a Sermon on the Mount, and in Luke, if you take a look at your bulletin again at the passage, it opens it up by saying this is a sermon on the plain. This is a sermon in the valley. It's quite the opposite. So Matthew's mountain sermon, Jesus says that those who are poor in spirit are blessed. Luke says it's not the poor in spirit who are blessed, it's the poor. Which I think begs an important question. What is the qualitative difference between those two ideas? And you can be wealthy, you can be a wealthy person and have poverty of spirit. But in Luke's gospel, the poverty is perhaps less of, of kind of a spiritual abstraction. 
He's talking about people who lack basic resources, who don't feel safe or don't feel well on just those basic, you know, like fundamental things we need to survive. Maslow's hierarchy of need and all that, if you're familiar with that. And he adds something to the Sermon in the Valley that isn't in the Sermon on the Mount. He adds a series of woes, right? He's pointing his finger at some of his listeners. He says, woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are full now. Woe to you who are laughing now. Woe to you when people speak well of you. Now, scholars who study these four Gospels and do it closely, more closely than I do, they do this work that's sometimes called the harmonizing of the Gospels, the harmony of the four Gospels. And so they'll apply a series of questions to these two different sermons. Is this the same sermon, just remembered differently? The Gospels were written decades, decades after the resurrection of Jesus. And so it's assumed that these stories were being passed around, probably word of mouth, but also pro probably written down in little pockets of stories that were sent around, little parchments. So is this the same sermon, just remembered differently when it was finally written down? Or is Jesus, rather, taking a sermon that he wrote for one particular context, one group of people, and then for a different setting and a different group of people, he's tweaking it. He's dialing it in because he senses that in that room, there's a different set of needs, something different that they needed to hear. Was Jesus touching the third rail? Or was he just walking up to it and sort of, you know, pointing to it and touching it? Jesus was a, a Jewish boy. You've heard me say that many times. He grew up during the occupation of Rome. They lived in a, Harley, a highly charged political setting. And before Rome, it was the Macedonians and Alexander the Great. And before them, it was the Persian Empire. And before them, it was the Babylonians. And before them, it was the Assyrians. Now, before you fall asleep, the larger point is that for nearly 800 years, their culture, their existence, their whole world was as a people who lived under the oppressive thumb of some foreign regime. They had some agency, but for the most part, they always had to check it out for whoever it was that was controlling them. 800 years. You and I don't have any way to sense that kind of time frame. We just don't have any point of reference. And in the generations before and during Jesus' life, what developed were sort of these four, I mean, there were many, but there were these four main responses, four main cultural responses, ways that they just tried to deal with this thing that they were under, this cultural, political oppression. One, this is going to sound familiar to you, they were called the Sadducees. It sounds familiar, right? The Sadducees were part of the establishment. They had money. And part of the reason that they had money is because they were more willing to play along to get along. If someone, let's say, wanted to place a Roman symbol of the emperor somewhere in the vicinity of the temple, a Sadducee might be more inclined to say, well, 
it's not ideal, but what's, what's the big deal? Right? We don't have to actually believe that the emperor is a deity, so let's just, let's just let it slide. Another group were called the Pharisees, and I know you know them. Right? Their way of dealing with being under the thumb of Rome was by being as intensely opposite to the Romans, by being intensely Jewish, as Jewish as they could be. And you might guess they went overboard. A big part of Jesus' ministry was telling the Pharisees to dial it down. Just, it's too much. But actually, the Pharisees was probably a cultural response that Jesus, that's the one he grew up in. It's the one he was most familiar with. A third group, maybe you haven't heard of them, these were called the Essenes. And I'm going to overcharacterize this group, but they were sort of a monkish, hippie communal types who completely separated themselves from everything. So they would live in caves or maybe ten up, set up little tent cities. And for the most part, the, the Roman establishment would leave them alone. They probably want them to be part of the system and pay taxes, but if you're not causing a problem, then who cares? And what they did was they would translate texts. And part of what the Essenes did is they would write these really fa like fantastic stories of apocalypse of how God in the end was going to be the winner against, guess who? The Romans, yeah. So they would create these stories. It was almost like a fan fiction of the day. But they were separate from everybody. And then finally, there, there were the zealots. And you can guess, these were the, the revolutionaries, the terrorists, who were trying to raise pockets of resistance. Rebels, right? rebellion, revolution. Why am I telling you this? Anytime Jesus was preaching, he had every type of that listener in his crowd. And these weren't firm categories. These were liquid categories. Human beings, you and I, we are usually not one thing. We are usually many things. And so he had every type of listener in that crowd that each had their own kind of third rail issues. I think one of the characteristics of being a good teacher is being able to share your content, not the thing you want to get across, but at the same time get a read on the room and make little micro-adjustments on the people in your audience. And sometimes, most of the time, those adjustments are because you're avoiding touching the third rail. But sometimes, if you have courage, given to you by God, those adjustments are based on stirring up something with purpose, doing something on purpose. And so I wonder in this sermon, is that what Jesus was doing? Now my sense of us, St. Paul's, Seventh and Robinson, is as a spiritual community, is that we understand how fraught preaching politics can be. I mean, you watch us as, pre as your preachers. You watch us being very careful about sensitive issues. We walk up to the third rail, and we may be pointed out, and then we back away. For the most part. Because we can feel the heat. We can hear it buzz. We know 
but rarely do we ever touch it. And most of the time, it's because we love each other. And we want to be careful with one another. And we want to find the right context to talk about those very difficult issues. But there are times that we need maybe to make those adjustments, those tweaks, to say things to each other that are hard to hear. How do we say to each other, if we love each other, woe to you? How do we do that in a way that the other person can hear it? And so, let us pray today and in the moments in our lives. Our God and Creator, give us wisdom. Wisdom to know when and how to say hard things. To be a blessing. But also to give woe. Both the spiritual and the practical. And we pray, God, do all of this for your love's sake. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.